You're listening to The Sigrun Show, episode number seven. In this episode, I interview Elena Hertigerhoff, who has over one million views on her TEDx talk, The Gentle Power of Highly Sensitive People. Welcome to The Sigrun Show. I'm your host, Sigrun, creator of Somba, the MBA program for online entrepreneurs. With each episode, I'll share with you inspiring case studies and interviews to help you achieve your dreams and turn your passion into profits. Thank you for spending time with me today. Building an online business takes time, but you can get there faster with the right strategies. I share with you proven strategies on how to build a profitable online business from your passion. You'll also learn how to master your mindset up-level your marketing, and succeed with masterminds. In this episode, I interview Elena Hertigerhoff, who is an ambassador for highly sensitive people, business mentor, and motivational speaker. We'll learn from her what's the secret behind her amazing TEDx talk and how it has reached over 1 million views on YouTube. You can get access to her free training, plus the training seven stages of a profitable online business and the show notes of this episode by going to sigrun.com forward slash seven. I'm honored to have Elena on the show today to talk about how to reach 1 million views on your TEDx talk. Congratulations, Elena. And thank you, Sigrun. And absolutely thrilled to be here with you today. So... Elena, I met you when uh, I was offered to join a mastermind group that was already in progress. So I was the newbie. Yes, and, and what an addition you were. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been wonderful to watch you and everyone else in the group grow and how we can chase each other's tails when somebody leaps ahead. So uh, this is another statement of how mastermind groups, how powerful they are. Oh, this is my favorite place on the internet is our mastermind group. <laughs> <laughs> and it's truly wonderful to know someone before they did their TEDx talk and then after they've reached 1 million. And that's why you're here on the show. It, it's at least for me, and I hope the uh, audience also feels the same way, someone that it doesn't feel like you're so far ahead that it's kind of unachievable for everyone else. Yeah, that's and and you know I I have so much admiration for your journey and all of our other fellow superstars in our mastermind group. It's just always so amazing to see what we can do when we put our minds and hearts to it and have each other's support. So yay yeah. for masterminds! <laughs> yay for masterminds! <laughs> okay, but we want to talk about TEDx and how to reach one million views today. But before we dive into that. Can you tell the audience who is Elena and what do you do besides giving a TEDx talk? So besides that, and besides being a highly sensitive person myself, because that's what my TEDx talk was about, <laughs> yeah. I am an intuitive business coach and mentor for highly sensitive people. And um, this has been a passion of mine now for many years as a lifelong entrepreneur like you pretty much, Sigrun. I love the entrepreneurial journey and I have specialized in helping highly sensitive people. People, and I'm just about to branch out also to support HSPs, as they're called, also with different aspects of their life. So moving a bit into the life coaching domain. So that's going to be mm. fun and exciting as well. And is a result of the TED Talk. I'll share more about that later. <laughs> yes, exactly. We're going to be talking about that. So 
How did this all come about? Did you have a plan to have a TEDx talk or, or why was the initial start? So I had a vision before I had a plan, typical intuitive person that I am. I'm not so good at the, at the rigid planning, even though I'm German. So I had a TEDx on my vision board, which I create on the 1st of January every year. I created that and in January of last year, I just thought, oh, wouldn't it be great to do a TEDx talk? And to be honest, I never thought this would actually happen. I just put it there and parked it. I set an intention, but not fervently thinking about it every day. I just put it there once and thought that would be awesome. But um, opportunity came knocking thereafter. So definitely, I recommend everyone, if you want to do a TEDx talk, uh, put it on your vision board or at least set your intent for doing that. I am so agreeing with this one. I had uh, on my Pinterest vision board, there was like be a motivational speaker before I was asked to speak uh, at TEDx. So, okay, you say that the opportunity came knocking, but how did that exactly happen? So I actually had uh, the great fortune of stumbling across somebody who was recruiting speakers for a TEDx event. And I was part of a members club where one of the members was co-organizing this uh, TEDx event in Paris. And uh, as luck would happen, have it, I was actually sick at the time. And I thought, I don't have anything to do today. So why don't I just apply for this? And I can guarantee you, had I not been sick, I would have been like, oh, it's not going to work for me. I don't have time for something like this. So uh, thank the Lord for my cold. Because <laughs> that landed me my TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> but do you really believe in luck? No. No, mm. I don't. I don't. I, I think there is a plan for us and it helps if we co-manifest with our plan. <laughs> yes, yes. I want to say that too. There's a quote from some famous golfer also, you know, I'm not lucky, you know, I just practice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I do think if you have a vision board, you will spot the opportunities otherwise that you would otherwise have missed. Absolutely true. And that's why setting intent is always such a great thing. And if you're, if you're into woo-woo and rainbows and unicorns like I am, then go for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't even to be that woo-woo. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you applied. What happens next? So what happens next, and this is true for all TED Talks, is first you have to apply with a short summary of what you want to talk about and you need to share your one idea. And it's very important that you actually have clarity on your message. So you cannot just have a vague topic in mind. You have to offer a novel opinion on something or have a really passionate message um, and you have to really give a very short and passionate plea to uh, the TEDx curator so that they read this and think, wow, this person actually uh, has a great desire to share this with the world and that this message will somehow make a difference. So that's the first step. And then you go through a series of interviews like you probably also had, Sigrun, when you did yours. Um, you get interviewed by the curator and maybe also some other people that are organizing the TEDx um, event that you applied to to make sure that uh, what you have to say is coherent, that you have the expertise, they check your background, um, they kind of want to know that you can pull off what you promise. That's true. That's true. But often these TEDx events have a theme. Did you know the theme beforehand? 
were you able to adapt your talk to that? So, so the themes, yes, it's very, very good point. Actually, all TEDx talks have a theme, but what I find is that they generally are very vague. So I think with a little bit of effort, you can adapt any topic to the theme. So the theme uh, could be like one life. Or I remember you said, I think, what did, what was yours? Momentum? Or I think something? it was mine was momentum and yours was beyond... Uh, beyond limits was mine. Beyond limits was yours, yeah. yes. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you can just tailor your talk so it fits to that. And it's, it's a pretty loose topic generally so don't be discouraged if you think oh this topic might be way out there's for sure a way to kind of make it work with your talk did you also have to send in a video of your talk no i didn't and that was because i actually was a latecomer so um they already had um, most of their their people organized and i only came in three months before the event they just had this one spot left and i just happened to fall on it so i kind of short-circuited some of the traditional things but usually you have to do a video um so what i did i had to do live skype ted talks with my curator who put me through the ringer and made me (laughs) made me (laughs) do it standing in front of my computer without notes so (laughs) even worse (laughs) <laughs> oh, it's it's much worse to talk in front of one person than hundred. <laughs> oh, it is, it is. But I'm very grateful, and I was lucky that we were supplied also with a coach um, that TEDx had organized, where we could meet the other speakers and we kind of exchanged our ideas and concepts as we went along. So some TEDx um, events provide speaker support, others yeah. don't. I don't know if yours did, but um, no, mine didn't. Yeah, yeah. Mine, mine did so yeah lucky great. yeah well we don't believe in luck we just yeah. said that <laughs> exactly exactly opportunity came along and you grabbed exactly, it exactly exactly <laughs> so how did you write your script did you get some help or, or how did you yeah find how did you know how to write a script I didn't. Uh, so first of all, I did something smart. I talked to you. <laughs> and you were gracious and kind enough to share what worked for you. Um, and that was super helpful. So thank you again for that. And when it came to writing the script, I did the first thing is actually watch a lot of TED Talks because I wanted to get inspiration for the format. I wanted to see what works for me as a viewer. Like, why did I like a certain TED Talk? And then I curated myself a collection of TED Talks that were my like favorite TED Talks. And I studied them and thought, hmm, I like, I like how they interplay with humor and serious things and research aspects. And so I kind of modeled myself on my favorite TED Talks. And that gave me the inspiration for the structure of it. And then I wrote it. And then I read this great piece of advice. Once you've written your script is you have to kill the parts you love the most, which made absolutely no sense to me because I thought, why would I kill the parts that I love the most? This is crazy. But I realized it's excellent advice because what you love the most is usually just something that has a lot of sentimental value to you, but not necessarily to your audience. (laughs) Wow, so interesting. (laughs) So I killed a lot of like things that were near and dear to my heart and I just left what I thought was absolutely essential to get my message across. So I killed all the fluff, (laughs) even though I loved it. (laughs) 
such a good advice because we kind of want to we want to want to tell the story because it's so important to us yeah and it's sweet or or it's endearing and and you you know you have emotional attachment to it and that really helped although being a highly sensitive person you can imagine how easy that was (laughs) (laughs) but it it really um it worked well for the script i think and what also worked is sharing it with a lot of people and be open for constructive feedback because people will pick up on different things in your script and they will say oh i didn't actually get that or hmm i think this should be sooner in your script and when you piece it together from other people what they say you kind of end up getting a consensus of what the feedback is and then you can work with that so i definitely listened to a lot of the feedback i got and i want to thank everybody who took the time to help me with that and then Once you have integrated the feedback, then my next advice is to forget all feedback and then just read it like it's your script. You need to take ownership again and then go through it and say, well, I've changed this now, but actually my heart tells me it's still better there and then go with that. So integrate the feedback and then read it and whatever doesn't feel right in your heart, go back to what you want. Um, Mm. Because at the end of the day, you have to love your script, right? So yes integrate and then go back to yourself. So that's what I did. And then practice, practice, practice. (laughs) Ooh, we'll come to that next step. I want to take one step back again. Uh, This this point of TEDx or TED is idea worth spreading. It's not actually about you. And that's the danger I see some people maybe go into because they want to do a TEDx talk because they think it could help them become known or, you know, advance their business. But it has to be an idea that is beyond you. How did you kind of take that on and, and make sure, you know, it's still your TEDx talk, but it's still an idea that is universal and somebody else could take it on and then you should be happy with that. Yeah. And actually, this is this is a really important point that I'm glad you bring up. A TEDx talk should never be about you ever, because then it will never reach people's hearts or minds or change minds because if you make it about you then it's a self-indulgent exercise to some extent and you have to to kind of make sure you don't fall into that trap which is an easy one to fall into you need to make sure that you are crazy passionate about your message like this message needs to keep you up at night it needs to be something where you're like i want people to understand this i want people to change their minds about this it really has to be bigger than you and then you will have the right energy when you write your script and just to share a, a friend of mine happened to do a tedx talk at the same time and she included a lot of things about her business and her work and things like that. And it actually felt pretty flat with the audience because the message got lost in there. So if you want to have an impact, take yourself out of the equation and then you'll have a much stronger message to deliver. And also one you can be even prouder of because you know you did it with the right intent and the right energy, which is to deliver a groundbreaking idea. And just when we're on the topic of the idea, what's also very tempting is you want to say everything about your idea. You want to say everything you know, you want to share all the research, you want to share all of your experiences, stories, and you feel like, oh my God, I can't not say that. That's so important. And you have to be okay with not saying everything there is to know about your topic. And you have to just think what will most impact people when they hear it for the first time and feel secure in the knowledge that if they are passionate and if they kind of catch the passion bug from you they'll research more themselves 
So true. We always want to share the whole story. Yeah, I did. I was like, oh my God, but this is people need to know this and this and this. <laughs> I have to practice this one. That's good. That's very good. Okay, so once you have the script, you have, uh, you know, gotten the feedback and you're happy with your script. What did you do to practice? Not just, uh, you know, memorizing the script, but also, you know, the performers were standing on a stage. Yeah. So for the memorizing bit, I did something uh, quite entertaining for me, at least, is I took different objects in my house and attributed them to different parts of my speech that had some kind of relation to them or that I found were, were relevant, where I could trigger my minds. And then I took a series of photos on my iPhone of each object. And then I studied my talk by going through the objects in my mind. And I was like, oh, so here I have, I have this silver heart. So this is when I talk about that part in my speech. And, and here I have the light bulb, which is when I talk about this. And, you know, I made it work for myself as triggers. And then in the end, I was just flicking through my photos on iPhone to, to get my speech rolling in my head, uh, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I have a similar concept, but not exactly the same. So I think that with the iPhone pictures is brilliant. <laughs> so it was a lot of fun, me looking at my odd odd home objects, having a different purpose. <laughs> yes. Okay, so um, that's how you memorize the script. And yeah. I, I, I got to point this out to people who haven't uh, been involved in a TEDx talk or, or helped someone. It's... This is really the only time that I memorize a script, you know, or I don't know if with you, if you give a talk generally, generally a lot of people would just have talking points, you know, when I do a webinar or interview like this, we have talking points, but why do we need to memorize a TEDx script? Oh, what is your take on it? That's a very <laughs> awesome question. So you need to memorize a TEDx talk, first of all, because you have a time limit and you cannot go over that. I think the, the, the normal timeline, if I remember correctly, is 18 minutes. I think that's kind of their, the official TED max that you should have. And the other thing is to deliver a really awesome talk with no rambling, no ums and ahs and what have you, you need to have it so tight in your mind. You need to know everything in your talk so that it comes across like it's conversational. So you, because people think, well, if I learn it off by heart, it won't be natural. No, on the contrary, if you learn it off by heart and really, really learn it off by heart, then you can be totally natural and you can focus on things like your posture, how you project your voice. You can actually focus on these things because you're not scrambling to remember what you're saying. And that really, I think the best TEDx talks that I've seen, you can tell that they've all been memorized. Yes, very true. I know some talks that uh, maybe are very known people, but they obviously didn't memorize it and they went off topic and somehow didn't also have an ending. Yeah. And also that you'd lose your, your punchiness, you know, because a TED talk is all about delivering information in a very punchy format. And that doesn't lend itself to excursions of the mind. You know, you need to really keep at your topic. <laughs> yeah. And to have quotes. Yeah. 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 That's also really great. I had a few quotes which I had there and, and people love quotes and they help you make a point even quicker. So <laughs> yeah, very good. So what about the posture and everything? Had you any practice in that? Did anyone help you with that or? So um, 
Well, as luck or not luck would have it, I actually got sick right in front of my TED talk. So the three days that I flew to Paris before where we were supposed to get speaker training, I was sick. So my TED talk had a lot of colds involved from beginning to end. <laughs> so I missed out on my entire speaker training. And with hindsight, I would say this was very fortunate because I talked to some of my other speakers and they actually got destabilized by too much advice. Too much, you should do this, you should do that, you should hold your arms like this and that. And they were actually flustered. And I was not at all flustered because I didn't know if I was going to do it right or wrong. I just had myself. And I would say for an awesome TED Talk, don't worry how you stand, don't worry about your arms, don't worry about anything except maybe for your voice but you have a microphone don't worry about anything because as long as you show up as your authentic genuine self and you deliver a, your message in a way that is natural to your personality then people connect to you and they connect to your message so i would drop any artifices of public speaking for this anyway and just show up as who you are um, and then people will most likely love you for it so true so true so what happens next? You know, you deliver your TEDx talk, you get some feedback, obviously, on the spot. But the key we know is when it goes live on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> so that that was such an interesting thing. And again, Sigrun to the rescue, you had awesome advice for me because my talk came live on the day that Brexit vo was voted in the UK. And I was thinking, this is not the right day. Like, who wants to hear about my TED talk? You know, the news is full of other stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then I thought to myself at midnight, I'm like, okay, no, I have to go with my momentum, even though... I was personally sad about this, but I was like, no, I have to give my my talk the push it deserves. And you also told me, no, go for it, go for it. So I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> because the first 48 hours, I think, or so are the crucial ones when you put a video on yes. YouTube. And it doesn't matter if it's a TEDx talk or your 10 minute Facebook live. Exactly. You have to push it so that it it gets instant recognition in the algorithm, I suppose, of YouTube that this is a watchable video for people. So the first thing I did was uh, at midnight, I decided to start a Facebook ad. Um, so it was the most uh, slapped together ad I have done in the history of man. I just did literally put up a, a landing page, stuck the talk on it and started the ad. And this is my best performing ad ever. It had in one month, 20,000 shares, which was something that I was like, ooh, ooh, this is special. And as you, as you also, when you have the TED label in something like that, then of course you also have instant interest uh, for people. They, they're curious to see why you did it. So I started the Facebook ads. But outside of that, I also mobilized all of my community. That means I wrote an instant email to my list saying, hey, please watch my talk and share it if it resonates. Um, I posted it in my Facebook groups, on my page, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, like every possible social media outlet I have. And I mobilized some of my friends to write to their list or to post it for me uh, in their groups or on their pages. So I was very fortunate to have a lot of people support me in the initial 48 hours so that it got a really good push. And as a second part, though, I did something that was very helpful as well as I wrote to quite a few page admins that ran pages 
that had a lot of um, like an audience that was very suitable for my message and also a lot of likes. I would say maybe 40% answered and actually posted my talk, which got me a lot of uh, virality without having having to invest in anything there. So that was great. And I posted also in Facebook groups uh, that were you know, full of people that would resonate hopefully with my message. So these were the, the kind of initial steps I took to give it a big first run. Yeah. So we know that even if you do all of this, what you did, like reaching out to people, blog posts, Facebook ads, these were all things that we kind of are obvious to us, at least in hindsight, that you should do, make, make yeah. your video go viral. Still... A lot of people would not have 1 million views. Yes. What is, in your opinion, the difference between your talk and other talks that have done exactly the thing, same thing to make it go viral in terms of activities? Yeah. So this is where going viral actually starts when you write your script. This is when you start going viral way before you deliver your talk. And the reason for it going viral, I think, is because you need to provide an emotional arc throughout your TED talk, which will help people experience a range of human emotions and get connected and actually have an experience. Like they go on a mini trip with you. They have to laugh. They have to cry. They have to be touched. They have to find something interesting. And when you can play on the whole rainbow of human emotions, then people think, wow, this is like 15 minutes well spent. I really had an experience and I learned something. And when we share, why do people share? Because we want to A, look good in front of the people we shared with. We want them to have a good experience and then to come back to us and say, hey man, thank you so much for sharing this. I love this. It makes the sharer feel good. And this is how you get a viral impact is when you generate positive emotions for people and then they want to share that with the people they love. So this is a key tip. And another thing is to something that you recommended to me as well is to have a shareable title. So what you can do to figure out what is the ideal title is to check out for keywords already on YouTube for videos TEDx or not to see what, what videos rank highly in that kind of topic segment and what are the keywords they're using and make it, make it snappy, short and use keywords that are searchable. And then at some point it takes a life on its own. When do you think that was? When is the tipping point where it's just already you seeing the views goes up and up and up and you don't have to do anything anymore? When, when is that? So for me, it was actually after four to five weeks because that was very quickly actually. But I realized that whether or not I was doing something, it was growing by two, three, four thousand a day. And then I thought, oh, okay, so I don't actually need to do anything anymore <laughs> to, to push this. Yeah. Um, and then I just let it do its thing. And that's, that's quite magical. And what's even more magical is when you see that you have put so much effort and time into it because no joke, a TED Talk is a huge commitment. And if you do that as a business owner, you need to know that your business will take a back seat while you're preparing, doing, performing, advertising. Like this is your main gig for uh, quite a while. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. My revenue went down when I was preparing for my TEDx talk. And I think people have to know that, that this is not something you take too lightly. No, it's not. It's not something you do because it sounds fun. It's something you have to really commit to. But then when you do, you get the beautiful payoff. And still today, 
I have the amazing luck, if we should call it that, or good fortune to receive emails every single day from people that were touched in some capacity by my talk. And this just lights me up. I mean, of course, I'm a highly sensitive person, so I'm, I'm very open to being emotionally touched by people. But it's so nice to see that you're reaching people all over the world and that your message actually meant something to them. Um, and which is why, again, it's so important not to make it about you, but about a message that people can translate to their own lives and hopefully maybe even make changes in their lives because of your talk. Yeah, that's what we all hope to do. Yeah. So, but what has happened now with your business? Because I have some insights, but Aha. I, I yeah. <laughs> so this must have some impact on your business. Have you made changes or what yes. has happened? Yeah. Yes. So this is very interesting. So you never quite know how a TED talk will change your life. I can only guarantee you that it will. <laughs> but in my case, um, as I mentioned in the beginning, so I have uh, run my entrepreneur's business uh, for several years now as an intuitive business coach. And with all of these lovely messages I kept receiving, mostly from non-entrepreneurs, uh, from all age groups, from moms to pensioners saying, how can I continue this conversation with you? How can mm. we continue this movement you started? And I actually came to the realization that I started a movement and I didn't continue my leadership. And I actually had this realization when we all met in person um, mm. in our mastermind event in London. And it came to me that I was actually absent for the position I had myself created. <laughs> and wow. I was like, what? Oh. That's profound. That's a profound <laughs> insight. So basically, people were starting to follow you, but you were not. I was the not leader offering day. them. I was not continuing the conversation I started, and it took me a while to catch up with that. And this has now helped me to understand that my place, my true place, is actually to be a mentor for all highly sensitive people, not just entrepreneurs, and to nurture this community and to share my vision for our community. And um, this is now breaking into actually an entirely new and second business for me, which is more than a business. It's actually a movement where I have the honor to see myself as the leader for that. And uh, it's something very special to me that I can now actually create a membership community for HSPs all over the world to go on that journey with me. That's truly wonderful. And congratulations again, Elena. I'm thank so happy you. for you. <laughs> I am very happy. And thank you for cheering me on and helping me also come to this insight. <laughs> <laughs> so now where would people find you and what's the best way to reach out to you? Yes. So my business business, so to say, my business coaching business will still exist that you can find under entreprincess.com. And if you're wondering why I would dare call myself a princess, it's the joke of the princess on the P, which is, of course, the most HSP thing you can be. <laughs> so, but it's not just for the ladies. So that's that side. And my new business is uh, sensitiveawakening.com. And that is where I'm building a membership community for HSPs. So you can reach me on both of these channels. Wonderful. I am. I encourage everyone who is at HSBC to check out Elena. She is the perfect person to reach out to and join her movement and watch the TEDx talk if you haven't already. We'll have all the links in the show notes of this show. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Elena, for the time today. 
and goodbye. It was awesome to connect. Thank you, Sigrun. Bye. Building a profitable online business takes time, but you can get there faster with the right strategies. Get access to Elena's free training, plus the seven stages of a profitable online business and the show notes of this episode by going to sigrun.com forward slash seven. Thank you for listening to The Sigrun Show. Did you enjoy this episode? If you did, please share, subscribe, and give the show a review on iTunes. See you in the next episode.